this morning, uh, we look at Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levi woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, that's a, a healthy child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes, dubbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it, placed it amongst the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while she saw the young women walk beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his, sister, then his sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take the child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. We look forward to seeing what God has for us in this passage of Scripture this morning. All right, let's take a look at Exodus chapter 20 this morning. Exodus chapter 20. Uh, as we turn in our Scriptures there, let me just ask you a question. What's the most difficult thing that you've ever tried to hide? What's the most difficult thing you've ever tried to hide? Uh, for me, it was report cards. Uh, the problem with that is that my mom worked at the school and she helped hand the report cards out. So she kind of knew it was report card day and there was no getting around uh, that question. Uh, some other things that are difficult to hide sometimes are an engagement ring. Uh, you know, it comes in this big fancy box and things like that and you got to find a way to hide that until you pop the question. Uh, maybe, you, um, maybe you bought a major purchase without telling your, your, your loved one, uh, maybe a boat that you've got to hide in the driveway without her noticing that you bought a boat. Uh, maybe you dented the car and you don't want people to notice that you dented the car. Sometimes we spend a lot of time in life trying to hide things. But how about trying to hide a baby? How about trying to hide a, an infant so that nobody knows that you have an infant. And probably in this case, when we take a look at Moses' family, it wasn't just hiding Moses as an infant for those first three months of his life, but probably you also had to hide the pregnancy that was going to lead up to that. And so really almost for a year, this family has anxiously been trying to hide the life that God had given to them. If you can imagine the terror and the fear, and the anxiety, and the worry that comes with this time. If you remember what we looked at last week was this big picture in Exodus chapter 1 of the oppression that was coming on the people of Israel, this small family that had become a mighty nation, and the oppression that came, and all of the intensity of the hardship, and the injustice that was poured upon their lives. And in Exodus chapter 1, we get the big picture about the nation. But here it is in Exodus chapter 2, we get our feet 
on the ground, and we see this at the ground level inside of the life of one family. In Exodus chapter 1, the word was, any male child that is born should be executed at birth. And when that plan fails, then the word now is gone, not just to the midwives who were helping with the delivery of those infants, but now the word is to all of the people of Egypt. The entire nation has raised their hand and been deputized to this task. That if you see a male Hebrew child, you are to throw them into the Nile. Now, I've never been to the Nile, but I've driven through Manshack and over toward the city. And I know they got gator tours and all those kinds of things. And so I think it's interesting for us to look at this passage of Scripture because while we may not have been to the Nile, we kind of understand about being in a wetland with some slithery, scary creatures in the middle there. They may have crocodiles. We've got alligators. I bet you there are snakes galore in both of those places. It is a dangerous situation. So for the idea to throw an infant into that space is a horrible, horrible idea. And the entire nation has been deputized to perform that task. So how... Do we survive? How do they survive in the midst of that difficulty? How does this family make it through that kind of oppression, hardship, difficulty, fear, anxiety, danger for their lives? Well, let's think about it a little bit this morning as we look at the passage of Scripture. One of the things that, that I think that the passage of Scripture would point out to us is that sometimes... Sometimes it's difficult to see the hand of God. Sometimes we have to strain to see God's hand. You know, there are times in our lives where we just are having just like a spiritual high point. And we say, man, life is fantastic. Life is great. I am so blessed. We are so blessed. I don't know that there's anybody in Exodus chapter 1 or in Exodus chapter 2 that is walking around saying, boy, this is the best spiritual time I've ever had. We are so blessed. Look at all of the blessings that are around us. Instead, they are feeling some of the most difficult things that any people have ever felt. And so in the middle of that conversation, in the middle of that experience, there can be a real sense where somebody asks the question, Where's God? If we're suffering so much, and if our very lives, and if the lives of our children and the safety of our families is so much in danger, where is God in the middle of all of this? You and I know that sometimes we can walk through some difficult times, some difficult situations where it is hard to see the presence of God or the movement of God's hand in our lives. There's some interesting things about Exodus chapter 20, or Exodus chapter, well, there is about Exodus chapter 20, but we'll get to that later. There's some interesting things about Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. One of the things that I notice is that until the last verse, it doesn't mention anybody's name. 
Now, I find that interesting because sometimes the Bible mentions names, sometimes the Bible doesn't mention names, but every, almost every single character in this story, we know their name from other parts of the Bible, from other parts of the book. But in this place, nobody gets their name mentioned. Now, I think the reason for that is because it is telling us the story, but it is wanting to draw our attention to the mom, the dad, the son, the daughter, the other daughter, as much as they take up the words on the page, they are not the actors in the story. In fact, the absence of their names is designed to draw our attention to God. In fact, God isn't even mentioned by name in the passage. But all of the circumstances in this passage of Scripture, even though we have to strain a little bit to see it, all of the circumstances, all of the motion, all of the activity, all of the drive is done by one person, and it is God. You see, when everyone else has forgotten, God hasn't. We spent some time talking last week about the idea that the Israelites were only supposed to stay there for the duration of the famine. They were supposed to stay for years, and instead they stayed for centuries. And over that past passage of time, they had gotten comfortable, and they had forgotten the promises that God had given to them. And in fact, we're going to see later on that God almost has to reintroduce himself to his very own people because they had forgotten him. But God had not forgotten them. In fact, God had given a promise to Abraham. God had provided that promise that said, I will raise up your people out of Egypt. Even after 400 years of bondage, I will bring them back out. And so God is going to fulfill his promises. Even when sometimes we have to strain to see God's hand. I was thinking about it. Why is it so hard to see God's hand sometimes? What are some of the circumstances that, that make it difficult to see God's hand? I think one is that we can be immature in our faith. And I don't fully mean that in a negative word sometimes when we call somebody immature. But we just mean young, inexperienced. Sometimes we don't have the rootage to know and see the hand of God as clearly as someone who has walked with God a long time. Sometimes we haven't spent enough time in Scripture to understand the heart and the character and the means of God. And so a person who is young in their faith sometimes will miss the hand of God just because they're young and they haven't experienced those things. They don't know the character of God and his word as clearly as, as they will in some time. And so because of that, sometimes it, it's hard to see the hand of God. Sometimes it's hard to see the hand of God because it's dark. Sometimes the circumstances can just feel really, really dark. You don't think Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 2 isn't a place where it's pretty dark. And sometimes when we are in the dark, we have a hard time even seeing 
a hand that's right there in front of us. But because the circumstances are so dark, we have a hard time even seeing God. Sometimes we have a hard time seeing God because there's just so much noise, so much busyness, so much activity, so much other stuff that we just can't even see what's in front of us. Several years ago, I was at a church, and we reinstalled the sound system, and what they wanted to do is that they called it shooting the room, which I found out was okay. It didn't sound like an okay thing, but it, it, it turned out to be okay, and what they did is that they made as much noise as they could in the room just to see where the sound was bouncing around. And basically, the sound that they played was just this static, like remember when you used to put the your TV on, on, on channel 6 and there was no channel 6 and it was just static. This was that at like 150 decibels. I walked into that room. I could not think straight about anything. I mean, it was pure torture to be in that room. Sometimes we can't see the hand of God because there's noise. Sometimes it's ugly noise. Sometimes it's distracting noise. Sometimes it feels like it's beautiful noise. But it's just noise. You and I live in the noisiest days in the history of mankind. Remember when they invented the printing press? Not that you were there. But remember when they invented the printing press? It's like, we're going to write something down, and in eight weeks, the whole world is going to know about it. Well, we put something down, and now in eight milliseconds, the whole world knows about it. Sometimes it's difficult to see the hand of God because there's just too much noise. Sometimes we can't see the hand of God because we're looking in the wrong place. Sometimes we, we're, we're sure God is over here. God is doing this. I know that God is unfolding in these ways. God, This is where God's going to show up. And it's not. I, I think God really enjoys showing up in places that we didn't expect. Or maybe we're just constantly looking in the wrong places. But sometimes we are so sure this is what God is going to do. This is how God is going to do it. This is when God is going to do it. And we just stare into one of the places where God is not at work. And we just wait. And all around us, God is stirring and moving and doing. But we're locked in on one place. Sometimes we can miss what God is doing because we're looking in the wrong place. But there's also a reality that sometimes we can miss what God is doing because He chooses to work at a level that's deeper than our senses. He works deeply. And sometimes... God works so far beneath the surface that not only is he working on things in the future, but sometimes, sometimes God withdraws just a little bit for the purpose of drawing us to him so that we will seek him out a little bit more. He steps back so that we will step up in our faith. I don't know where you are in the circumstance right now. I don't know how hard it is to see God's hand in your life right now. 
But what I want you to know is that sometimes even when you have to strain to see the hand of God, for whatever reason it is, I want you to know that God is at work. And so here in a circumstance where the entire nation has been deputized to kill your child, watch what God does. He sends help to rescue this child. Did you see where the help comes from? It came from the same place that the harm came from. It came from Pharaoh's house. Sometimes God just shows off. Sometimes he says, listen, you have to understand there's no limit to what I can do. And to the very place that you think that the greatest harm is coming from, that's the place where I'm going to bring the rescue. And so Moses' life is saved. Moses' mother is given income to raise her own son paid for by the source of the harm. Moses can now walk down any street that he wants to in Egypt because he has the seal of protection from Pharaoh. Anywhere he wants to go, he is Pharaoh's daughter's son. He will one day be raised to the finest education in the world. Because God has done this thing. Even when you have to strain to see God's hands, do not miss the fact that God is at work. Man, that's good news. That is good. I also, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I think sometimes we need to notice that sometimes the first step can be the hardest step. The first step can be the hardest step. How are you all on ladders? I don't mind ladders. If a, if a ladder has a hundred rungs, I'm not worried about that. Well, I'm not worried about most of that. I don't mind climbing up all hundred rungs. Not a problem. I like being up high. Love all of it. It's great. But if that ladder goes up onto the roof, I don't mind getting up on that roof. I don't mind walking around on that roof. doesn't bother me. Now, I'm not saying I want to do it tomorrow, but that doesn't bother me. But when it's time to come back down, I don't mind 99 out of those 100 rungs. But that first one, that first one where you just kind of put your foot out there and you are just swinging your leg around just hoping somewhere, someplace out there, there is a rung there. And before you can put your weight out on that rung, you've got to know that it is there. And it takes forever to find it and to feel secure. I'm fine for 99 out of the 100. It's just that first one that, that, that makes me slightly, entirely uncomfortable. That's the way it is with life sometimes. When we know what we're supposed to do, when we know that God has called us to do something, when God opens a path for us and says, this is what I want you to do. It's just that first step. Sometimes at the invitation time, when, when, when you kind of feel like you're supposed to come forward at the invitation. 
but just that first step getting out of the seat is a hard one. Sometimes when it comes to, to, to maybe connecting your financial life to your faith life, it's that first step that seems so difficult. Uh, sometimes when it's to initiate a conversation about spiritual things with, with a friend and to tell somebody about Jesus, it is that first step that is so difficult. It brings me back to Moses' family. What is going on here? What, what, what is the plan here with this basket? What, 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 what is the end story that they, they think is going to happen into this place? Had they scouted this, do they know that Pharaoh's daughter comes this way on a regular basis? Do they know that Pharaoh's daughter's mad at her dad? And so therefore, whatever her dad says, she wants to do the opposite. I hear that happens every once in a while. Do they know that? Has Pharaoh's daughter ever adopted a child before? What do they know? Is this something that they have planned out and said, I think here's how the story ends. I know how it's going to work. Even if they'd done that degree of scouting, even if they had that degree of confidence, I don't know, man. Putting, putting your infant in a basket amongst the reeds on the side of the Nile, surrounded by crocodiles, are you sure about that? I mean, I know that good quality daycare is hard to find. But I don't think any of y'all are that desperate. They, they, they may have thought this through and said, that we, we think, that, we think that, that Pharaoh's daughter who comes by here every single day, that, that, that she has a soft heart. We, we think this plan will work. It also may be that when you're trying to hide an infant who cries eight hours a day, if you can just take some of those hours and put them outside of the house away from you, that's all you need. Or at least that's all you can do. That's all you can do at this moment. So I think it's absolutely crazy. The idea of taking your infant, putting them in a basket, surrounded by the crocodiles, and say, we think this will be an improvement. But it's all that they had. It's all that they knew. And so they had to make that choice and to take that step to go and do that. I, I, think, I think that this step isn't as crazy as it sounds. You see, we've been talking about the fact that people have not remembered. But I think the Moses family remembered. You see, most of our translations, when we look at this passage, it, it talks about placing Moses in a basket. We can picture the basket. You've seen the pictures in your children's Sunday school class. But you know what the word there is? It's the word ark. 
It's the same word that describes the vessel that saved Noah. And I think somebody remembered the story of Noah. When the whole people were about to be wiped out, God saved His people by putting them in an ark. And so this son of Levi and this daughter of Levi remembered. I said, we don't know how this works. But Noah rested his life by being placed in that ark and he trusted God. And so for our son, we're going to trust God with his life. We're going to put him in an ark and put him on the water and trust God. It's really what it means to be saved. It's to say, in the midst of all of our danger, in the midst of all of our need, I'm going to rest my life in an ark, in a box, in a basket, that I have no control over, that I have no direction over, but I am literally going to place the entire weight of my life on this ark. You know, that is the picture of what it means to follow Jesus, is that when we come to a place when we have no hope, no direction, no other answer, we place our life on Him and say, I need you to save me from all of this. And sometimes that first step can be the hardest step in which you turn over control of your life, you turn over your own steering of your life and rest your life in Jesus. It's what it means be saved. It's interesting in this passage of Scripture, again, we don't know anybody's names, we don't even see the mention of God, and we don't even see anybody pray. But their life was a prayer. Their life was a prayer. We need to mention one other thing here, and that is that sometimes, sometimes our most necessary spiritual discipline is patience. Sometimes our most necessary spiritual discipline is patience. Exodus chapter 1, the nation is in peril. Exodus chapter 2, an infant is in peril. Exodus chapter 2, God rescues the infant. What about the nation? What about the nation? Well, the rescue is on its way. But what you're also going to see is that between Exodus chapter 2 and Exodus, cha Exodus chapter 2 verse 10 and Exodus chapter 2 verse 11, there's 40 years. The, the story just kind of fades to black for 40 years. They're waiting on a rescue. Moses is hope. Nobody really knows that. But it's 40 more years. I, I can't tell you what happens next week. But there's a little mix-up that happens next week. 
So we wait 40 years for next week. And then after that, there's another 40 years. And really after that, you know what? <laughs> there's another 40 years after that. But God is at work. And the rescue is underway. Sometimes it just takes some time. And again, you may be in some hard places. You may be in some dark places. You may be in some troubled places. And you would like to walk out of here today with all of those troubles gone, all of those hardships disappeared. And who knows what God may do. But there's also the very real possibility that God is at work. It's just going to take a little bit longer than you planned or you wished for or you hoped. It's just going to take a little bit more time. So let's think about how we apply this to our lives this morning. The first thing is that idea of salvation. Do you need to place your life in that basket of salvation where you come to the understanding and the realization that there is no other answer for your life and, and your life is in spiritual peril and sometimes in other kinds of peril and that the only safe place is in Jesus. But it feels really, really hard just to be left afloat there. But inside of that ark, that is the safest place that you can possibly be. That's what we mean about giving our lives to Jesus and Jesus coming to live inside of us. It is the picture of just placing my life, the whole weight of my life, inside of the safety of that basket that is Jesus. And if you've never done that, then I want to invite you to do that today. To place your whole life, the whole weight of who you are, on Jesus and find safety and security in that ark, that basket that is Him. I want to talk about one other thing. Sometimes it's not our life that's in peril. Sometimes it's the life of someone that we love. Sometimes it's the life of a family member. Sometimes it's the life of a child. And if we were to really unpack this passage of Scripture and try to feel the emotions of Moses' father and of Moses' mother thinking about the danger and the peril that their son was in. It would be overwhelming. And sometimes it's not our life that we need to place in that basket, in that ark. But sometimes it's the life of a loved one that we have to say, Jesus, I, I need you to take care in a way that I can't take care.
I need to prayerfully hand them over to you. I, I like in the story that the family stayed nearby. That the family was always attentive, even when they could not direct. And when help came, the family was there to extend that help. But it may be that many of us have someone that we need to put in that basket and say, Jesus, I can't save them. But I need you to do it. Sometimes in the passage of Scripture, there are times that we need to do something. Take the basket, make it, cover it with pitch. And it may be that there's a moment in your life right now that there's supposed to be an action step of faith that you're supposed to take. And if that's what you're supposed to do, I, I want you to take that step. There are other times that you're supposed to just wait and wait for God to do what it is that He's going to do. I pray that God will give you the wisdom to know when you're supposed to make that basket and to know when you're supposed to wait those years. I don't know, but I know that my God is at work whether I can see it or not. Let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, your word is good, but only because it comes from you. Lord, you know the word that each person in this room needs to hear today. You know what they're supposed to do with that word. Whether it's their own life, the life of someone that they love and care for, whether it's a step to action or whether it's a step to patience. Maybe a combination of all of those things. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us and empower us and apply this to our lives like glue. And we would not miss what you have for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. I invite you to respond. You can come and pray at the steps. Caleb and I will be more than happy to pray for you. Whatever it is that you need to do this morning, would you stand and would you respond?